Okay, <clears throat> let's see, starting here. Welcome to the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast, where we cover the most effective marketing trends and strategies to grow your cannabis dispensary, delivery service, or brand. I'm your host, Jake Litke, and today we are discussing retail strategies for cannabis consumption lounges. This week, we are joined by Maha Hack. Maha has dedicated over a decade to the commercial cannabis space. She's an operations consultant for retailers, consumption lounges, and events through her cannabis hospitality firm, Hospitality. Maha is currently the Director of Retail Marketing for State House Holdings and was recently Director of Retail Strategy for Green Thumb Industries. Welcome to the show, Maha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys about consumption lounges. It's an exciting time to talk about them right now. Yeah, you were mentioning that a little bit earlier, and I guess we can just kind of dive into that. I was going to start off by asking, you know, the state of things, but the state of things have changed as of today. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was mentioning it to you guys earlier. Uh, the state of Nevada just uh, announced uh, their license winners for their consumption lounges. So they actually have two different consumption lounge <laughs> license types. And <laughs> um, that was fun. <laughs> um they have actually, so the state of Nevada has two consumption lounge license type. One is an independent consumption lounge license, and the other is a consumption lounge license associated with uh, a retail uh, dispensary. So um, around uh, 100 applications uh, were submitted in a 10-day uh, period, and 40 uh, were announced as uh, winners of that. It was a uh, non-competitive uh, licensing round. It was um essentially lottery. So if you just put your name in into the list and, you know, it just got randomly selected um, by a program. So it wasn't competitive like it is in other uh, cities. So city of West Hollywood, for example, they had a merit-based competitive licensing uh, license application round for their consumption lounges. Uh, but Nevada did it, you know, kind of differently. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what comes out of there because uh, the, the state itself said that they are anticipating some of these lounges to open uh, by next year. So I feel like the progress will be quicker in the state of Nevada compared to what we've seen um, in California so far, specifically uh, West Hollywood. So uh, very exciting times. Like today is the day, day one of knowing who are the new license winners for lounges in Nevada. So good stuff. And that was a pretty quick process, right? How Very they quick process. process. Yes. So 10 days uh, uh, was the uh, application filing period. So yeah, that's pretty quick uh, versus what we saw in West Hollywood. Uh, I believe it was a few months uh, to get your application in, uh, but around uh, over 300 applications were submitted. And this was back in mid-2018. So just to kind of jump right into it and, and uh, draw some comparisons to the uh, city of West Hollywood, um, the license application round was in middle of, uh, middle of 2018, so summer 2018. Um, the winners were announced uh, around the end of 2018. And only one out of the 14, well, 14 is also kind of an odd number to share because initially uh, when the consumption lounge licenses were being given out in West Hollywood, they had separated uh, lounges that allow inhalable products from lounges that allow uh, edibles only. So at the time, there were 
quite a lot more than 14, but then they consolidated those uh, licenses. So now there are only 14 licensees for consumption lounges that allow both inhalables and edibles. The city uh, did not see, uh, see it make sense to keep them separated. So they're now together. Uh, but only one lounge had opened uh, before uh, the pandemic, and that was the uh, OG Cannabis Cafe or the Lowell Cafe, which did end up shutting down a few months after it opened. And it wasn't entirely related to the pandemic, but because of the pandemic, none of these lounges opened until way later on. Um, Artistry ended up being the second lounge to open. Uh, they opened, I believe, uh, last or this year. They they opened their uh, they opened their lounge this year around four twenty, um, April twentieth. So uh, it took a while uh, when you kind of put it in, into perspective. Twenty eighteen is when. Uh, they were awarded the license and some of these lounges didn't open till this year. So uh, the pandemic really uh, affected that, impacted it. But uh, at least with Nevada, uh, they are not going to be dealing with that, hopefully. So I foresee uh, quicker progression, quicker turnaround with getting those lounges up and running. That's great. So you have you've got some stuff going on in Southern California. We have Nevada coming online. <clears throat> How many states today have a program at all? And of those states, who actually has locations that are open? Okay, so at the moment, there's only seven states that have legis uh, legislation in place for consumption lounges. But of those seven, only four actually have consumption lounges open. Those states are California, there are a few open in Nevada. Uh, one of, per uh, of particular significance is Nuwu Consumption Lounge that is actually on reservation land, so uh, Native American territory. Um, the two other states are Colorado and I believe it's either Washington or Oregon. I need to let me let me double check that. It is so it's seven states have legislation legislation and four are the only ones that are open. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So California, Nevada, um, California, Nevada, Colorado, and Washington. Yep. Okay. And of those, you've got you you know you mentioned in LA they have edibles and they have smokable products in one license. Um, Not anymore. They're consolidated now. Now yeah now they're yeah now they're consolidated. Um, but what does it look like in terms of how do these um, how do these places deal with the smoking laws that exist, right? Because you have blanket laws around smoking that aren't even related to cannabis. Um, how does that, how do people deal with that? So a lot of, uh, so a lot of um, the cities are anticipating uh, odor control plans uh, within the larger compliance plans that you have to submit for your application. So need to have uh, something connected with your HVAC system that will uh, serve as an odor, con odor control uh, agent. So uh, a lot of what I get to do with some of my clients is recommend uh, different filtration, um, HEPA filters, uh, carbon uh, carbon, in, uh, I guess, inf infused or in carbon-based HEPA filters. Mm -hmm. um, so that is as basic as it can be, but you have to have some sort of plan you can present that, hey, I am connecting uh, this odor control uh, agent to our HVAC system. Come check it out when you do your inspection. And as long as it uh, works out, checks out, the city will be happy and um, they'll and it'll fulfill as an order control, uh, um, I, I guess, initiative in that uh, area or in that business. And 
you'll get the green light to open up. And then what about neighbors, right? Ooh, if you're so... in a commercial area, you're going to have neighbors. Do you have to do a public notice of hearing? Do you get people get to complain? Yes. So yeah. in the city of West Hollywood, uh, there are a couple of lounges that are located close to residences. Um, one in particular is part of State House. They have houses right behind them, uh, but there are way far up on top of a hill, but from their window, they can see the dispensary and the lounge. Uh, and there was a public notice and they they did have complaints. But at the end of the day, if the business is you know, doing what they can to make sure there's no disturbances uh, for those residents, um, then the city is going to be okay with it, especially when you're considering that this business is going to bring in a lot of revenue for the city. So City of West Hollywood is separate from City of LA. It's a smaller city. Um, so they are very much uh, depending and relying on the cannabis businesses to bring in that revenue for their city. Um, so that does hold uh, more uh, hold more leverage than the residents who are making complaints. But surprisingly, not many uh, not many residents residents in West Hollywood have made uh, specific complaints. Um, only the few that are located super closely, uh, but they're not even that close to begin with. But that is something you have to do when you are pursuing a consumption lounge license uh, license or even a dispensary license. You have to you have to scope out your neighbors. You have to uh, go to any uh, neighboring businesses as well. Um, and this is all on top of getting your landlord's approval. So you need to get your neighbor's approval as well yeah lots lots of hoops to go through yeah <laughs> so if we talk about you mentioned in nevada there's two different licenses that they gave out they gave out one for someone who already has a retail license and then they gave out licenses for someone who's just got a new business freestanding it's going to be a consumption lounge how does that work with distribution and retail licensing does it act, do you, is it like a, a kind of a dispensary license if you don't have a dispensary to begin with, but now you have a lounge? How do you so, get your products? Ooh. So this is, this, is a, this is a very interesting setup that the state of Nevada uh, set forth. So if you are an independent consumption lounge licensee, you have to get your products from a retailer, not a distributor, a retailer. So um they 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 go to them they purchase the products and they buy it for wholesale but they cannot go through a distributor like a retailer does so that is a big difference in procurement in product procurement uh but on top of that consumption lounges also have to carry different types of products uh in general not just the independent lounge uh but also the lounges that are affiliated with retail they have to get different types of products so um whether that's coming from the distributor to the retailer or if it's coming to uh the independent lounge from the retailer so they are all different sets uh of products um so it's interesting, though, because I, I've never heard of a case where a retailer or lounge had to not go to a distributor to get their product. So it's it'll be interesting to see that play out and uh, and identifying those retail partners for the independent lounge license is probably going to be a uh, an interesting uh, addition to uh, operations for the lounge. And you said different products, but how is different in what way? Okay, so there is a push for single serve products. Um, so for reference in California, 
Um, you can buy your product at the lounge, but you can take it back home as well. Uh, but in Nevada, they are pushing for not allowing the patron to take back their cannabis products home. They have to finish it right then and there, just like you'd have to at a bar. You can't take your, your drink away. Actually, in Nevada, if you were Vegas. drinking something, you can walk away with it. But they're putting that restriction on weed, which is kind of ridiculous and, and like crazy to think about because you get away with so much with alcohol there. But um, this is this is something that they want to push forth uh, to only have single serve products to make sure they finish it up there. And if they don't finish it, they still can't take it home. Um, so the the details for the actual single serve uh, products is um, the cannabis ca products cannot exceed three point five grams of smokable flour um, concentrates and vapes cannot exceed three hundred milligrams. And uh, there's even there's there's even rules for um, for topicals. So so let me say that again. Single use products, single use cannabis products are limited to no more than three point five grams of usable cannabis under the regulations with extracted inhalable cannabis products, such as vaping or dabbing products are limited to three hundred milligrams of THC. And all single-use products with more than one gram of usable cannabis and all extracted at, uh, inhalables must carry potency warnings. So um, individual servings of ready-to-consume edible products are capped at 10 milligrams THC, which is a fairly standard amount in states that have legalized cannabis for rec use. So we see the 10, uh, 10 milligram increments for edibles across the board, kind of. So, uh, But they also even have limitations on topicals. So topicals are limited to 400 milligrams of THC. Uh, and transdermal patches and all other cannabis products cannot have more than 100 milligrams of THC and must carry a written warning if they are more than 10 milligrams of THC. So that is, it's 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 kind of a doozy when you think of it, because there's nothing like this in other states yet. Um, I do foresee other states adopting a similar uh, a similar structure for the um, limit for, for any limitations on um, product uh, amount, THC dosage, etc. cetera. Uh, but to see Nevada be the first one, it's kind of ironic just because I could I can literally walk out of a restaurant with a glass of wine, but I cannot walk out of a consumption lounge with my half smoked joint, <laughs> even if I stowed it away. And so it's it's kind of an interesting intersection of using some alcohol rules, but not others. Um, but on the topic of consumption, um, what is considered overconsumption? How is, I mean, this is all new, right? So nobody knows how this works. Did they attempt to put some sort of parameters? What happens if someone is has too many edibles or really even yeah. a normal amount like a normal what would be considered a normal amount for many people would be excessive right 10 milligrams is not something that someone who has no experience with cannabis should probably start off with exactly so, and 10 milligrams is also very little for some other consumers so it's like it's the dosing that has been uh determined by the state is really not reflective of of every patron so th that will be walking in and out of a lounge so this is where you know training and um you know training development comes into play the state has not given any uh any guidance on how to deal with overconsumption so that is something on 
the licensee to figure out. And these were some of the things I got to work on um, back when I was working on consumption lounges in, um, ooh, Illinois. That was a state I forgot. The state of Illinois has consumption lounge. I opened one up for Green Thumb Industries out there. Um, So the state of Illinois, um, you know, we, when we, we opened the first lounge over there and there was really no guidance, no, no perspective on how lounge operations should be in that state. So we kind of just went with the flow and we did have some people who had to call the ambulance because they were over, they, they, they felt like they were, you know, overdosing or something like that. And, you know, that can be kind of scary. And even in California and West Hollywood, um, the Lowell Cafe, there would be eight to 10 pass outs a week and an ambulance would be called every month, like once a month. So this is very expected if you don't have the proper protocols in place. So some of that, some of the proper protocols would, would entail um, having, uh, so first off, having a 90 minute table limit you don't want them to overstay their welcome because if they do that, they are more susceptible of overconsuming. Um, another factor is if they are going to uh, consume edibles, to only allow edibles that are nano emulsified slash are fast reacting. Um, if they are traditionally infused edibles, they're gonna hit you like once your ta- ninety minute table limit is up. <laughs> so you don't want to leave when your edible is finally hitting you. So you want to keep uh, only nano emulsified quick reacting um quick reacting edibles. and um and really, it's about titration and asking it's about asking questions and proper titration. So, the server is not only acting as a butt tender as as a server, but they're also kind of there as your um, like they're, they're kind of babysitting you as well. They kind of have to. And that's what I always try to tell servers at a consumption lounge is you're taking the role of several different people right now. You got to keep a very close eye and you have to ask all the right questions so you can assess them appropriately and give them the best experience they can have. So of course you will ask questions like, you know, how how much do you often consume? Is this your first time? What kind of uh, consumption method do you go for? Um, Do you consider yourself as a heavy consumer, light consumer? How much would you consume in a day or in a week or in a month? Um, So you ask these set of questions, get a gauge on what their experience with cannabis consumption is like. Um, it can be annoying for the patrons sometimes. They just want to sit down, get their weed, and just do their thing. But if you're a newbie, or if you are, if, if this is your first time going there, the server has to be as attentive and as uh, um, and has to question really uh, every part of their cannabis consumption journey, so they can better be equipped to help them uh, um, find the right product and avoid. Uh, any sort of overdose or adverse effects that could very well happen with cannabis. Um, it's kind of what also what bartenders do. They'll, you know, they'll see someone who's got too many drinks in them and they won't serve them. So the same yeah. applies for a consumption lounge server. They have to know when they have to stop serving to somebody. Um, but biggest, biggest and most important component of a lounge is having water accessible for your patrons. Cause if you're not drinking water, you're not going to feel good the entire time. You have to be hydrated. That's another task of a server to do is to make sure they've got water, to make sure that they know to keep cons- uh, to keep consuming water if they're going to keep consuming cannabis. But 
if you're dealing with a can of sewer, then, you know, you can kind of let them be. But a lot of people that go into lounges, you know, will, will probably be can of curious or will probably be uh, a friend of a can of sewer who isn't a can of sewer. So not everyone's the same. Be abreast to any any different types of of uh, people that are that are uh, uh, coming to the lounge and uh, just understand that you're going to have to kind of babysit them and help titrate a perfect dose for that patron if it's, you know, if they're not a can of sewer. Yeah, and that's actually, that's important. And then maybe you can explain titrate, which is not a word that everyone is familiar with. Okay, so titration, like dose titration is you're basically testing out little by little how much of a product you will need. So for example, if I take uh, one pull from a joint, but that's not enough, I could I could quickly recognize that it is not enough. So I'll take two more pulls or one more pull, depending on my comfortability and experience with the product. So testing out how much you need, but starting slow and uh, going uh, going low and starting slow. That is the mantra with really any cannabis product, especially if you're uh, new, a novice, and still trying to find your perfect dose. I personally already know my perfect dose because I have self-titrated uh, self for a while. But if you haven't yet, it's just starting little by little and seeing where you can go up till, but not to the extreme limit, but to a comfort, a comfortable level that you don't want to exceed. So if you're feeling great, you don't want to go more than that. You want to keep that great feeling. So that's titration, starting little by little, seeing and, and identifying your perfect dose. Yeah, that seems like the optimal situation, but maybe won't happen as much as we might like. Yeah, <laughs> but this is this is also the duty of the server. They have to help uh, a novice or a newbie uh, through this titration process. And you've got 90 minutes to do so. And it's much easier with inhalables because inhalables uh, like joints, uh, like bongs uh, and dabs, vapes, like they hit you almost immediately. Um, and uh, whereas edibles, it does take some time. Uh, but have your server help you with your dosing. Like that's what they're there to do. You do not want to, uh, you, you want to make sure you're avoiding any sort of adverse effects and really anything else that could get you even a little close to overdosing. Like overdosing is very possible. And some people think it's not because cannabis is deemed as such a safe substance by a lot of industry professionals. But, you know, that's not the case for everyone. It can react differently with people. You got to be prepared for when that happens. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's, that's definitely an important protocol to have is if someone is passing out or someone's not feeling good, you got to have a set, uh, you have to have a set protocol for how to deal with them. So one of them being make sure they drink water. Uh, second, give them, um, give them a drink with electrolytes, something like Gatorade, um, and, uh, you know, something like liquid IV, something that could really help hydrate them. Um, and if you are serving food at your establishment, even better, give them maybe something, uh, simple, some, something, uh, uh, carb, uh, to eat, uh, like something bread, crackers, what have you, uh, to help, uh, help them cope with any sort of adverse effects that they may be experiencing. But not all lounges allow food and beverages. So this could be tricky. Uh, water at the very least is allowed in majority of lounges, but food, not all the time. Um, but, you know, 
Nevada is adopting uh, uh, adopting food and beverage in a consumption lounge, and the city of West Hollywood has also allowed food and beverage in their lounges as well. But not every city has. Yeah, that actually leads into uh, my next set of questions, which is, what does the business model look like, right? So you are selling cannabis products for people, um, and you, obviously in some places you can't sell food and beverage. Um, is it you just have one line of revenue if you're not able to sell other goods or services other than cannabis or what there's, does that there's some creative ways that I've come out uh, specifically in the city of West Hollywood and San Francisco. So they do a lot of and Illinois. So we we have device rentals. Um, you know, you can rent a uh, a dab device like Puffco or iSpire or you know, any or Dr. Dab or any of those devices, or you can even rent out a bong. Um, you have different options for bongs, depending on the type of bong, it can be priced, the rental uh, cost can be priced uh, accordingly. So if it's like a very fancy bong made by a local artist, you can charge upwards of 100 an hour for it. Uh, but if it's, you know, something very basic, like a beaker bong, could be $20 an hour to to rent that or $20 for the entire 90 minute duration, depending on, you know, how you want to lay it out. But um, there's there's device rentals. And what I've recently seen in West Hollywood, there's a new lounge that opened uh, called The Woods. It's also a dispensary owned by the actor Woody Harrelson. And in in the consumption lounge area, there's these little pods uh, kind of like cabanas that you can rent out. They're very beautiful, but they fit around um, like six to 10 people. And to rent that cabana or that pod out, it's between 100 to $150 an hour. So that's an additional uh, rental option on top of the devices and bongs um, and uh, smoking uh, consumption apparatuses. So those are two, but not as uh, not as revenue generating compared to the actual product sales. So you kind of have to get a little uh, creative with how you are going to incorporate uh, additional costs. Um, you know, just like you go to a club, you have bottle service, you can do bong service, you can have a joint roller, you can pay for that joint roller, whether it's, you know, per the hour or per the joint. People are getting creative and that's what I get to work on. How do you get to be creative with your uh, different revenue streams in your lounge? Because it can be tricky, uh, but it's all about experience and presentation and you can charge for that. You can charge uh, beyond charging for the product. You can charge for an experience and you can charge for a presentation. What about like um, like live music? Oh, yeah. That's and you can charge for tickets, too. And um, and that's happening at the artistry. They have uh, they have music nights. They have um, art nights as well. They have a paint and puff. So they have a lot of experiential um, uh, activations going on with brands. So brands sponsor certain events, too. That's another way a consumption lounge can uh, get revenue is is uh, partner with a brand who wants to uh, buy into being like a featured or spotlighted uh, brand for that lounge for the night. Uh, but yes, there are there are um, there are entertainment routes that you can take. You can have uh, ticketed events. Um, but I'm not. I'm like I. I'm actually surprised. I'm not seeing it be done as often because a lot of the lounges that are open right now don't really have a 
ven like a large venue um, type of property. So hopefully in the coming uh, in the coming year, uh, West Hollywood is specifically being you know the heart of Los Angeles's nightlife. Uh, there will be some lounges that have large enough. Uh, properties where it can be like a music venue, it can be like a uh, a concert hall or uh, a stage type of uh, uh, space. Um, there is one that will be opening up soon that does have a small stage, uh, very uniquely, uh, uh, very uniquely placed kind of like a mezzanine. Um, so I do anticipate that lounge doing a lot more ticket sales, um, music performances, comedy shows. Comedy and, seems like a, a good one. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be fun. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. But besides just consumption lounges, you know, social consumption areas go beyond just these uh, these uh, st stationary permanent location type lounges like there's also events um, there's uh, there's a, uh, a cannabis event organizer license in the state of California and other states are now looking at what California has done so far with it because that actually came out before some of the consumption lounges uh, consumption lounge licenses were starting to be uh, offered by particular by specific cities so there. I guess this might go into one of your other questions about uh, events, uh, but event organizer license types are significantly cheaper and have less uh, of a startup cost compared to consumption lounge license types. Uh, but the what entails for um, uh, for an event organizer license is that it's a pathway to allow the sale and consumption of cannabis at an approved venue. So that venue is not a licensed lounge. It's just a venue that you have sought approval for so you can host a, a one-off cannabis event there and conduct cannabis transactions. So according to the Department of Cannabis Control in California, you must have two licenses to host a cannabis event. So you have a cannabis event organi organizer license and you have a temporary cannabis event license at least 60 days before the event starts. So the licensee cannot sell cannabis, so they must partner with a retailer to facilitate uh, the cannabis transactions. So they have to pair up with a dispensary. Um, so is that a is that a brick and mortar license, or what if you just have a delivery license? That would work too. So okay. as long as it's a partner that can conduct cannabis sales uh, mm -hmm. and is customer facing, then yes. So a delivery works in that in that situation as well. Um, and there have been uh, delivery services that have paired up with large scale events, which I'll get into in a bit. Uh, but the benefit to the event organizer license is uh, not needing a permanent location or property. So it's very cost effective in that manner. And to just kind of put it in perspective, the average lounge license application fee in California is around $10,000, similar to what the independent lounge license application fee was in uh, Nevada. Uh, but an organizer license application fee in California is $1,000. So big, like big difference. Um, and to kind of even put it a step further in the state of Nevada, just, just recently, the, um, the retailers who applied for the lounge license, they had to pay $100,000 for their uh, license application uh, fee. So that's crazy. Uh, but an event organizer license type in California is only $1,000 compared to the other license fees uh, that I just mentioned. So um, that's like, so, you know, that's that's something to consider. But 
um, as you were saying earlier, if a delivery service can do it. So Ease actually has uh, had partnered up with a, a couple other um, with a couple other brands and another uh, and an event organizer licensee to head up the grasslands portion at the festival outside lands at the Golden Gate Park uh, in San Francisco. And it was Ease one, uh, one year, and it was another retailer called Embark the following year. So these, uh, retail, these retailers have even gone ahead and uh, gone ahead to get their own event organizer license type. So they're the event organizer and the retailer. So I see that being a very strategic play with a couple of retailers right now because they want to have their events. They want to have social consumption available, uh, a pathway available for them uh, beyond just opening up a lounge. So I think that's a very uh, a very uh, solid retail strategy is to go for an event organizer license type. So Embark is doing it. Ease has done it. Uh, one of my clients, Har- Harborside uh, Dispensaries, they also have an event organizer license type, which they will be able to utilize at traditional venues, just like the Golden Gate Park. Um, the one in question for them is the Oakland Coliseum. Um, we've seen stadiums uh, have cannabis events. Um, one in SoCal was the Adelanto Stadium. They've had, uh, they've hosted Kushstock. They've hosted Burning Trees Festival. And these are all weed festivals, which you can buy weed at uh, legally. <laughs> and, um, and it's all done, you know, through this license type. And that license, it, I mean, it sounds similar to a event license you could get for beer and wine. Um, I know that when you get those, those are one-off licenses. Like you apply for it, it's inexpensive, but it's for a specific day or set of days. Exactly. You have to be very prepared. So that's, that's, you know, part of being an event organizer licensee is you have to be very prepared. You have to have all, all your approvals set. So if you're going to do something at the Adelanto Stadium, you have to ask for the local, uh, the, the city of Adelanto's approval. Hey, I want to have an event over here, a cannabis event over here. Here's my license. Here's my retail partner. We are all good to go and they'll give you the green light or not. So it really is dependent on the city. There are cannabis friendly cities like Adelanto, but something like the Rose Bowl. So I'm from Pasadena. So doing something at the Rose Bowl, I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. But hopefully that could be something that happens in the future. Because <laughs> that would but be it's crazy. A, it's a thousand dollar fee for the event. So you have to apply for a license for each event you want to have, and it'll be a thousand dollars. And that's assuming you have everything else all taken care of. Yes. And actually for the thousand dollar fee for the for the license, you actually are able to do up to four or five events for the year. Oh, okay. So you just yeah. schedule it. You just, exactly. You just have to schedule it appropriately and um, just have a plan. Um, and, but because there are, you know, hurdles in getting these licenses sometimes, especially in a time where there's backlogs, uh, you know, like there's backlogs uh, um, happening right now with a lot of these uh, cannabis governing authorities. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of time um, in between the license application submission and the license awarding. So people are trying to come up with, um, I guess, how, I, I don't want to say loophole, but people are coming up with, with crafty ideas uh, on social consumption. And that is having uh, private events that don't require uh, a license and um, private events that you can't sell cannabis at, but private events are selling 
you know, sponsorship opportunities to brands. So there's there's a, a couple examples in LA and also New York. This is popping up in New York as well. Um, there's Green Street. There's Infused Social House. These are private venues that allow cannabis consumption. They don't charge you for cannabis, but you can go there and consume weed. You can bring your own or there might be brands that are giving it out. And this is due to there not being any legal pathway in that city for consumption lounges. So the city of L.A. does not have any legal pathway to get licensed for a consumption lounge. So you're seeing these private members only venues opening up or these private events, you know, kind of just popping up all over L.A. Uh, but West Hollywood Honestly, I'm not seeing a lot of um, like I'm 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 seeing more emphasis on just developing the lounges itself as opposed to you know having a private event a can a private cannabis event there. So I just saw in the Q and A, um, uh, are you familiar with Hazy events here in California? So Hazy is another event organizer without a license that does private events at their uh, at their HQ and private events um, at any other privately owned venues. They just have to get landlord approval and they just can't sell cannabis. So um, that's that's something being done popularly. And same in New York, you have Astor Club NYC. It's just a members only venue that you can smoke at, but it is not bound to any sort of license and does not have to really report to any cannabis governing authority out there. So you probably can sell food and beverages there. Yeah, yeah, you can you can definitely have some food and beverages there. Yep, but you can't sell weed. Fair enough. <laughs> um, we had another question here about uh, someone's asking about the High Times Cafe revamp. In, Ooh, in so the High Times Cannabis Cafe revamp in WeHo. Yes, so th so the the High Times so Cannabis West Hollywood Cafe for people not from California. Oh yeah, WeHo. West Hollywood. <laughs> So the High Times Canvas Cafe was previously the Lowell Cafe. Then Lowell backed out, became the OG Canvas Cafe. And then the licensees of the OG Canvas Cafe sold their stake to High Times. So that particular lounge has gone through many changes. And it was the first lounge to have opened that allowed food and beverage, which is, you know, very significant. But at the same time, they did shut down for reasons outside of the pandemic. So they had a lot of administrative and management issues, which thus they sold to high times. Um, and we'll see how that goes. It should be opening up soon. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe it won't be like the the, the previous two lounges it was before, uh, but it will be opening up soon. And yeah, on soon, um, that's a relative term, especially. Yeah, you know, like people say in a month and it ends up being four months. But hey, that's the state of the industry right now. You you submit your uh, you, you submit something to your city and state and they don't get back to you for like another like three to six months. It's a very common practice right now. Yeah, well, let's circle back to Nevada then. We just, you know, licenses just got approved today. Um, you're thinking we'll start to see things next year. Next year is not very long away. Um, I also would assume that some of these license holders have been planning ahead for this. Um, yeah. Primarily the retailers are have been planning uh, quite a bit because 
they have a location and a property already. And if they just have extra space, just like uh, just like Green Thumb Industries did, they have cookies on the strip, which is currently a dispensary, but they also have space for a lounge. Um, are they going to be doing it at that location? I do not know that. They might be doing it elsewhere. But just for example, they already had uh, additional area for a prospective lounge and uh, and there were plans being made for it. But now it's, you know, nothing, I, I don't think anything has been e executed uh, among the different retailers who got the lounge license, but it's go time now. And if they have property next to their retail, then they're set. And is there, so they, they, they got the license today or the approval. Yes. Um, is yeah. there anything holding them back from opening their doors tomorrow? Or is there some sort of like secondary inspections that need to happen before there, there's most out. likely some inspections that they'll have to go through just to make sure everything is is solid you know got to make sure they got all the the bells and whistles in the appropriate places that includes cameras uh, security cameras that includes having the appropriate hvac odor control systems um making sure that it is ada compliant uh but other than that if there was a spot that was already being prepared for and it's ready to open tomorrow, they can request that final inspection and be good to go in theory. And is there a, a public posting or someone put out an article yet of who won? It was 40 licenses got. Yeah, out? I've actually got a couple of links. Um, I can share it in the chat. Is that cool? Yeah, you can share it in the chat. I think it'll go out here and we can also um, put it on the post later. I think uh, for the on the playback, we can add it there as well. So this is uh, this is the um, uh, hold on. So this is the link from the CCB uh, and they have or actually I can just post. Are the um, names like can you tell who the companies are? Because sometimes yep. the name of the company is not. What oh, yeah. So it is everyone's LLC. So this is actually from the official um, uh, CCB uh, of Nevada. And here I just put the link in and it says every every entity's name. You It does not help you identify which dispensary or which cannabis business it is. But um, I, I can recognize a few because uh, I've either worked with them or I'm familiar with them. But it's kind of hard to identify who is who if you're not from Nevada uh, or have not worked with any of these folks. But uh, you can also see the location that they have their license in as well. So there's a lot of unincorporated Clark County and a lot of city of Las Vegas. But does that necessarily mean the strip? No, because you have to be a thousand feet away from a casino or bar. And that's kind of hard to do that on the strip. Yeah, I remember when Planet 13 went in, they kind of found a, a little spot in the city that just happened to be far enough away from everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was very strategic of them. Um, they're they're not on the strip, but they're fairly uh, fairly uh, accessible to the strip. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how um, how some of the lounges who anticipated there to be some on the strip uh, to deal with the fact that they can't be on the strip. Um, but for example, and and I don't believe this applies anymore because they ended up being below a thousand feet away, but. Cookies on the Strip is on the edge of the Strip. Um, it is next to the Sahara Casino and Hotel. And uh, they anticipated being a thousand feet away, but they just weren't quite there. So not sure what will happen with that, but that was the last uh, I know, knew of when I was working on that project. 
Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about that. You, you're mentioning a lot of different projects that you've worked on. Um, maybe you could spend a few minutes talking about hospitality. Oh. Is that how you pronounce it? Hospitality? Yes, it's it's like hospitality, but it's H I G H. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I did not give my background. I'm sorry. We just kind of went right into. Well, it. you were so excited about Nevada. Yeah, so. it's it's very it's 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 very relevant right now. And um, I I'll add one more one more piece of uh, information about Nevada. They also awarded um social equity uh um license licenses. So that was that was very unique. Um, the social equity applicants are now given an opportunity to open up a lounge. And this has not happened anywhere yet. So this is the first of its kind. It has not happened in the city of LA, even though the city of LA is restricted to only social equity uh, applicants and licensees. They have not done anything for lounges for them. Uh, but to see Nevada be at the forefront of social equity opportunities within lounges, that is awesome. Uh, but just real quick, a quick background on me. Um, I first started working at medical dispensaries in the Los Angeles area 10 years ago, worked my way into other aspects of the supply chain through vertically integrated micro businesses, then worked on business license applications in 2018, got involved in the consumption lounge license applications when it first opened in the city of West Hollywood in mid 2018. And then since 2020, I've worked on retail and lounges uh, through my firm and uh, lounges in the Illinois and Nevada markets through Green Thumb Industries, and now in California through State House Holdings, who has a consumption lounge license on the Sunset Strip in the city of West Hollywood. It's an Urban Leaf uh, lounge. And Urban Leaf is a, dis a dispensary chain that is primarily in the San Diego County area. So um, yeah, Illinois, Nevada, and California. Those are where I've done lounge work in. And what part of the lounge, there's a lot of different pieces to yeah. opening any business, right? And this has extra hoops and, and forms and whatnot that you have to fill out. Um, what is the part that you see it's someone who wants to open a lounge where they need the most help with and and what are the things that they're least likely to be aware of that they're going to need help with right oh man so compliance is a big thing i feel like everyone needs help with compliance that is like the number one question is like what hepa filters do i need or like can I have an ice machine in here? So previously in California, you couldn't have water and ice on, in the same area as the consumption area. So it's like, how, how do you navigate that? Um, so compliance is a big thing. Operations, how are you going to uh, do your day-to-day? Uh, -day? Like what are some uh, policies and procedures that need to be implemented for day-to-day -day operations? Um, and re really, it's primarily compliance. It's like, how do you keep things, uh, how do you keep like the devices clean, especially in, the t uh, in a post-pandemic world, you know, sanitation is like a huge component of any social consumption area, like a restaurant, bar, anything. There are now additional protocols set in place for sanitation and for uh, just general uh, waste management. Like, how do you deal with that? And that all falls under uh, lounge compliance. So I think that's that's like one of the biggest requests I've I've gotten and the biggest questions that are kind of like head scratching questions, too, because some of the rules and like some of the regulations are just like, like what? Like, I can't serve 
water and ice in the same place I serve my weed. But hey, that's changed now. But that was an issue back in 2018, 2019. And that's why you were getting people passing out because you couldn't give them water unless they were in a different part of the lounge. So compliance is a big issue. Um, Operations related to sanitation and waste management. Uh, But then some of the lounges that have been open. So for example, artistry right now, their biggest hurdle is marketing. How do we effectively market that we're here? <laughs> like a lot of uh, a lot of people are not aware that lounges are an actual thing. Like people just think you can just sesh out a house, but it has to be you know made appealing. Like uh, customer acquisition strategy is a a frequently requested uh, um, I guess uh, piece for uh, consumption lounges. Um, you know how do you get foot traffic? How do you get people in? Um, and how do you perfect the overall experience you're providing? So I think those, those three things, uh, compliance ops, and then like marketing in that order. In that order. Um, okay. So I have a couple of questions. One is, uh, now how do you actually, what's considered the appropriate level of sanitization for a bong that is going to be shared maybe among 10 people in a day? Like what are the rules beyond what you would yeah. Oh, that is so I've 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 seen all different sorts of solutions. Um, but one solution that I actually was very fond of is um having like a kitchen grade washing machine, but made for bongs and devices. Like that is like the most legitimate like piece of equipment I saw, but very expensive and not entirely necessary if you have a basic washing machine and if you're also hand washing as well. Uh, but in terms of other sanitation uh, uh, procedures, you have to make sure you're using a bunch of isopropyl alcohol and soaking in, uh, soaking your glass in that. Uh, just what you basically do, the basic functions you do at home to clean your bong, if you clean your bong, because not everyone does at home. Uh, but if if you clean your stuff at home, you're often using isopropyl alcohol. We make sure that we soak um, soak uh, device, device glass pieces and glass uh, overnight uh, so it's ready for the next day. But in between patrons, oh man, you have to also use isopropyl, but you have to do a quick turnaround if you have limited pieces. So making sure it's cleaned three times, that is what I try to uh, implement with, um, you know, base with uh, within basic uh, policies and procedures to clean your piece three times if it was used before and it's going to be reused for the next patron. So and use isopropyl alcohol, hot water, um, make sure you are wearing gloves um, and you make sure that it is dried appropriately on the drying rack. And uh, some some lounges I've seen, they have like UV lights uh, to to um, to, I guess, antibacterial properties. Uh, but there, there's so many creative ways that I'm seeing, especially with the customized washing machine. Uh, one example. So Ecolab creates washing machines for restaurants and bars for like wine glasses or like cocktail glasses, uh, what have you. But Ecolab has altered, has also made a washing machine for bongs, uh, or, you know, puffco glass tops. So it's, it's, it's really cool to see that. And if you have the funds, definitely go for it. It makes it much easier. Yeah. And so let's say you've got, um, we'll go with Nevada. They're going to have ideally, let's say they've got these single serve. So little pre-rolls or whatnot. Now you've got hundreds of people coming through. You got a giant bag of like mostly smoke joints. What do you do with that? Oh man. So how you, how you throw it, throw it away. Yeah, you can't just throw it in the garbage, right? I would assume. Ha- so, 
so you like, yeah, you gotta, oh man. So when you throw weed away, you have to make it like unidentifiable and, and not reusable. So you have to like put things within your, so you have a bin, you're putting all your weed waste in there. You have to put like mulch, you have to put like paint, things that will ruin it and things that you like, things that will ruin it to the point that you can't pull up that half smoke joint and smoke it yourself. So yeah, you got to mix it up in this bin. And uh, for reference, dispensaries have to do the same thing too when their product expires. If that product doesn't get retested and ex- and and expires, you you can't sell it. So you have to throw it away in a bin. You have to put all different things in it, like the paint, mulch, dirt, uh, powder, whatever. Um, and it's and 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 that bin has to be um, tracked or given to the local regulatory authority uh, so they can dispose it or the retailer has to dispose it, but there's a number on the bin that they have to report to the state and local governing authority. So dispensaries already have a process for this. Now lounges have to do it. Okay, so there's like a body of work that you can yeah. follow and some methodology. That but you- but for the dispensaries, it only pertains to expired product, but now for lounges, there's gonna be a lot more waste than what dispensaries have been doing. So. What dispensaries do, they have like a, you know, those basic uh, buckets that you get from Home Depot Mm -hmm. that that will be filled in a month. But for lounges, I anticipate that bucket being filled on a weekly basis. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Lots of interesting problems to solve. Um, Let's go back to what you're talking about with marketing. Um, You know, what for the projects that you've worked on, what have you seen be successful? How have you gotten people in the door? And I know it's challenging. We work in marketing for Canvas, so you know it's difficult to do. But um, what advertising you- is hard, man. You, you, I'm sure you guys know advertising is hard. But uh, sorry, go ahead. You didn't finish yours. No, no, that was that was my question. I just wanted to know some some tactics that you have seen work. And I know that you know a lot of ways your hands are tied. But what is what has worked for you? Oof, what has worked? I oh man, ah, uh, so. What uh, so what I'm or what I just previously previously just worked on. Um, so for the lounge that will be opening up on the Sunset Strip, because it's so like well located, like it's right next to uh, the one hotel, Andaz Hotel, um, Soho House, like it's and and a lot of nightlife, the comedy store, like it's so strategically located around all these different businesses, uh, hospitality businesses, entertainment, nightlife businesses. The first step uh, that we thought that we needed to do was reach out to our neighboring businesses and come up with a plan and kind of convince them like, hey, let's figure out a deal where all your patrons, if they come to our spot, they'll get a discount or something like that. Kind of, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. I think those partnerships and those relationships are very helpful and can help with the overall customer acquisition strategy. So I think that has been very effective. Um, I, I I have not seen other lounges do it just yet. This lounge on the Sunset Strip, not open yet, but the conversations have already begun and there's already signage of coming soon within those businesses, not, not, not the actual lounge property, but in the hotels, like lounge coming soon, check them out. I think that's like 
partnering up with local businesses, neighboring businesses, being a friendly neighbor, I think is really going to expand your reach. So that's one thing I recently worked on. But in terms of other marketing strategies, really having as many activations, brand partnerships, getting the brands to, to market your guys's, uh, uh, initiative, the lounges initiatives, um, or events or really anything that's going on, just, just keep attracting people to come through for, for any, any one-off event, um, is, is what, you know, brands are helpful in, in doing. So, so working with local neighboring, uh, businesses, working with the brands that you're already carrying, um, and expanding your reach in those ways. Um, other, other, uh, other things really it's, it's been, I'm not going to lie. Like the, the lounges out here in, in West Hollywood can definitely improve their marketing. Cause not a lot of people know that they're open. I walk in and there's not a lot of people there all the time, but the weekends have been slowly but surely filling up. And it is because of the comedy shows. It's because of the musical performances that are going on. It is because of very uh, top performing popular brands are hosting an activation. Like 710 Labs is a very popular brand, flower and concentrate brand. They do activations uh, at some of these lounges. And a lot of people come because of that brand loyalty. So there's a few brands that have established brand loyalty that lounges and retailers should look into partnering up with and utilizing their base to increase the lounge or dispensaries base. So I think it's really like, it, it's it's very collaborative at the moment. Advertising, you can't do. Billboards, kind of a headache and very expensive in major cities. Um, but you know, even digital, uh, digital promotions, like making sure those digital promotions are going to the right people. So whether it's through newsletter blasts and co collecting emails or finding an avenue through read maps, which could be very expensive. Like I still think uh, partner strategic partnerships are uh, hold uh, more value than uh, these other like traditional advertising routes. Yeah, well, advertising should usually be part of a integrated marketing plan, right? Just advertising on its own. If it doesn't, it's not part of a story and it's not part of a holistic strategy, usually you don't get the, the best return. Um, but yeah. kind of like what you were saying across our industry, we see that still, which is that, you know, I'll just one plug here is that we actually are able to do cannabis marketing on digital formats, right? Yeah. And that's something that still people are not aware of. And they don't know that you can actually advertise in places other than other than weed maps. Exactly, exactly. Like they think weed maps is the only way and it's very expensive can be can be 13 to $15,000 a month. You know, that's that's a lot. And not everyone can afford it. But those who can good for you. But um, other initiatives I've seen. Um, so a lot of influencer marketing. Um, so the woods, which is owned by actor Woody Harrelson, he brings in his celebrity friends. He has also prioritized uh, cannabis influencers. So there's a cannabis influencer by the name of Koala Puffs, and she just goes there, posts up at the lounge and smokes, posts content, and it actually attracts a lot of people to come in. Um, so that's been uh, so, so that, you know, that's been working out for them. And I imagine Las Vegas lounges are going to be doing something yeah. similar, especially with all the nightlife and entertainment that goes around. You know, they'll probably try to pair up 
with uh with with nightlife and and offer a uh here's a cannabis after party location or here's a cannabis pre-party location then you guys can go to your alcoholic club <laughs> but you know there's there's um and and west hollywood the sunset lounge that i'm working on you know there's soho house like there could be an event there but they could all be redirected to go to the lounge afterwards um so it's 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 going to be very interesting to see traditional venues traditional businesses coming into play for cannabis consumption lounge marketing efforts like that's there's going to be a lot of collaboration uh with non-cannabis businesses for sure yeah well great um thank you so much for your time i want to just see if there's any other questions if anyone who's listening in has some questions for maha we're kind of wrapping up on time here and oh there's one we've got another one here this is uh getting back to the destruction of waste uh, third party companies as do you have a preference for a third party company or to do it in-house I actually didn't know that there was an industry of third party cannabis yeah business. no there there are indeed third party companies who do that um I think if you have a well-rounded staff you're not short staffed I think it is just better to do it in-house I I prefer if I have enough staff I prefer to do it in-house just because I have visibility you can hold your staff accountable and if certain cities I'll give uh Pasadena as an example uh the local um the, the city of Pasadena does very frequent checks in dispensaries and they prefer it to be done in-house it's not required but it's preferred so if the city is telling you what they prefer you know I'm going to follow that um but that's why that is my preference, uh, just because there's a couple of cities who would prefer that too. Uh, but third party waste, that is, you know, that is pretty, uh, that's done uh, quite frequently. Uh, but, you know, you, you, if you have staff, keep it in house. Okay, great. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, and thank you for the question, questions, Lindsay. Um, you co-founded Kalma across the street. Kalma is an awesome dispensary that is right next to the the High Times Consumption Lounge that will be opening, which is also very interesting to see. You, you know, it's it's not entirely a competitor, but you have two cannabis businesses on the same uh, corner. One's just a lounge, and one's just a dispensary. So I'm sure there could be a lot of cross marketing um, strategic partnerships that can form in that as well. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, all right. So I want to, you know, we've gone for the hour here and I want to uh, wrap it up, but, um, you know, I wanted to give a, a chance for you to tell everyone how to reach you. If you are interested, obviously, in cannabis events or lounges and you have not been turned off by all of the problems that it sounds like there is in getting these things off the ground, uh, Maha can help you with that. Um, how, what's the best way for people to reach you if they want to ask you more questions? So I've got an email. I'm going to put it in, in the chat. Um, so I'm maha at highspitality.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm hi maha on Instagram. I know we didn't get to talk too much about this today, Jake, but, you know, digital advertising solutions. I'm also on Twitch. So Twitch is a live streaming platform and they allow cannabis on there. You don't get banned like you do on Instagram. So that might be a topic for another day, but I'm also on Twitch. <laughs> Easy to get in touch with me there. Uh, but I put my email and my Instagram. Oh, and my LinkedIn. Oops. <laughs> and my LinkedIn. We are on uh, streaming on LinkedIn right now. So I'll put my LinkedIn link there too. Yeah, well, maybe we can do a follow-up on Twitch. Uh, oh, that would be awesome. Twitch streaming. No, that that would be awesome. But I just put in all three ways that you can reach me. Um, 
I'm your girl if you have any consumption lounge questions and retail. So yeah, dispensaries and lounges, that's my jam. I am looking forward to the future of lounges, uh, looking forward to uh, traditional integration of entertainment uh, and more into cannabis consumption lounges. So yeah, let's keep looking forward in a time that's kind of economically tough on us right now. Yeah. Although I did see, well, a uh, little bit of good news. Some some stuff was going out about we did have some double digit growth from last year to this year over the holiday in the industry, which is it's nice to see a, a number going up um, and not down. So yeah. that's <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thanks everyone for joining us here at Cannabis Marketing Life. Um, I'm Jake at Media Gel. We do digital marketing for cannabis brands, and we've had a great time listening to Maha and all of her insights. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bye, you guys. Bye.